Let's uh, read. I'm going to read Revelation 5, 10 through 6, 2, believe it or not. Big chunk here. And have made us kings and priests to our God. We shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Let's pray. Father, as we tackle this uh, fairly lengthy passage here, we just pray that you'd be with us, pour out your Spirit upon us, give us insight and understanding, that we might continue to learn and grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, get closer to you, Lord, know you better, and have a better understanding of your plan for us and for this world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we pick it up here in verse 10 where we're told that we have been made kings and priests to our God, an acknowledgement there in the throne room of God in heaven by the 24 elders representing the church, the body of Christ, and perhaps the Old Testament saints as well, as we've discussed in previous studies. We've been made kings and priests to our God. So the Bible says that we are joint heirs with Christ. In other words, His inheritance is our inheritance. And so we have become partakers of his royalty and his priesthood. In John 18, 37, Jesus is confronted by Pilate. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. In other words, yes, I am. Of course, he also tells him that my kingdom is not of this world. But he says, For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth, everyone who is of the truth, Here's my voice. Yes, Pilate, I am a king. I've come this first time as the king of hearts. But when I come back again, it will be to rule over this world. Revelation 19, 16. This is the second coming when we will be coming with him. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hebrews 7, 17. For he, the Lord, testifies to Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we see his king, his status as king represented here in the New Testament scriptures. We also see his status as priest. And this is a quotation. Hebrews 7, 17 is from Psalms 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. Again, speaking to the Messiah. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In case you don't know who he is, in the Old Testament, Melchizedek was a king and a priest who appears in the book of Genesis. The name means king of righteousness, interestingly enough. A name echoing kingly and priestly functions. 
He's the first individual to be given the title in Hebrew, Kohen, K-O-H-E-N, which means priest in the Hebrew Bible. Notice his name means king of righteousness. There are some who believe that possibly Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. We have in the Old Testament what is called Christophanes, Christ appearing in uh, angelic form or what have you, pre-incarnate appearances of Christ. And some believe that Melchizedek is another of those. Genesis 14, 18 through 20, Melchizedek, king of Salem, Salem means shalom, peace. So he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. He brought out bread, and of course this would eventually, Salem was Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. Brought out bread and wine, he was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So we're looking at the duality of Christ as both king and priest, the lion and the lamb. 1 Peter 2.9, you, believers, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Again, that's part of our inheritance as sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. In the King James it says a peculiar people, and that's what most of us here today can identify with, right? I feel a bit peculiar at times. No comments from the peanut gallery. His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we see that even as Christ is identified in the scriptures as both king and priest, we are identified as a royal priesthood, so you have the royalty and the priesthood combined. Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So, it tells us, and here in Revelation 5.10 He's made us kings and priests to our God. I don't know how often we all think of ourselves in that light, but it would probably be a good thing, a healthy thing, to be mindful of the fact that calling that we have, that inheritance that we have in Christ, kings and priests, that's a high calling. And this life is all about God getting us ready and preparing us for those roles in the coming millennial kingdom of Christ. And we shall reign on... So, I mean, you can't be a king unless you have a kingdom, right? We shall reign on the earth. This is interesting. We who are now mocked, do you find that Christians today are often mocked, scorned, ridiculed, tortured? Now, I doubt that most of us, if any of us in this room, have experienced that level of persecution yet. But we know there are believers down through the centuries, and even this very day in other parts of the world, Christians are being mocked, scorned, ridiculed, tortured, and executed. By the way, who went through that first? Jesus, right? But those of us who are 
now mocked, scorned, ridiculed, tortured, and executed like Jesus will come back with Jesus to rule over this planet. It's another thing to keep in mind. Sometimes we get into our little pity parties, don't we? And we feel sorry for ourselves and feel like a victim and so forth. Keep in mind that very soon God is going to turn the tables and we will be ruling and reigning with Christ here on this earth. These are the kinds of things that we have to keep in view so that we can be overcomers. We've talked an awful lot about being overcomers. To overcome the world, the flesh, the devil. And the way that we do that is by keeping our eyes on the prize. Paul said we fix our eyes on that which is not seen. How do you do that? It's in the spirit. We're able to, in the spirit, fix our eyes on the things that are not seen. They may not be seen yet, but they've been revealed to us in the Word of God. And that's why we, with that one little uh, headline that I read you about, we're, we're, we're experiencing a severe, severe problem with uh, a waning uh, Bible knowledge, a, a severe lack of Bible knowledge with young people today. I suspect, and I'm pretty sure this has been done, but if you were to go out and do a survey even a half century ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, and you were to, to uh, survey, say, elementary school children, their Bible knowledge would have been far superior to what we have today. Because many, many people in this country went to church regularly, to church and to Sunday school, and that's becoming less and less common Revelation 20, verse 4. This is right after the second coming. We come back with Christ. The Antichrist, the false prophet, are cast into the fiery pit, the lake of fire. Satan is confined for a thousand years. And it says in verse 4 of Revelation 20, I saw thrones. This is going to be the great white throne judgment. And they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Who's the they? Who's the them? It's us. It's believers. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness for Jesus. Now, this is another little subtle indicator. We talk often about the pre-tribulation rapture versus the post-tribulation rapture. And then you've got your mid-tribbers. This is another little indicator because we see that there are two distinct groups of people here. First, there are thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded for their witness to Jesus. The book of Revelation tells us that during the tribulation, when everyone is required to see the vaccine of the beast, I mean the mark of the beast, There's a progression going on, folks. Do you see it? Huh? Uh, some of us in this room have been around for a few decades. I, I have no recollection of any mandatory vaccines. Do you? So if they can 
convince not only the population of this country, but the population of the world that everybody must take this vaccine. And then the next step, everybody must have this chip, you see. They've already convinced people your pet really needs to have a chip. What if you don't care if you lose them? We had a dog, I might have mentioned this recently, I don't know, we had a dog, this is going back a few years, probably about 25 years ago now, and he was a pain in the neck, and he actually was chipped, wasn't he? I think he was chipped, George, yeah, must have been, because we lost him in the mountains, and gosh, a week or two later, we'd forgotten all about him. Please don't call the SPCA, all you whistleblowers out there, PETA, our pastor's an animal abuser. I get a call from the, um, you know, the animal shelter over here, the city pound. We have your dog, sir. So I, I got off the phone for a minute. We had a family conference. Everybody took a vote, and we said, no, keep him. <laughs> but do you see the progression? There's a progression. And we're watching it unfold before our very eyes. And my point is this. So Revelation tells us that during the tribulation, vast numbers of people who profess faith in Christ will be Beheaded, which is interesting in and of itself for a number of reasons. I, I'm really shocked because I know, I'm talking probably close to 50 years ago now, Hal Lindsey was one of the pioneers in Bible prophecy and uh, there's a new world coming, his book about Revelation and so forth. And he was, based on Revelation, talking about beheadings that the guillotine would be brought back into usage. And yet, and then over the last 50 years, we've seen little or no talk about guillotines, but now all of a sudden, over the last several months, if you've been paying attention, there have been several instances where radical leftists have talked about we need to bring out the guillotines. They did a mock beheading of President Trump. Who would have thought? But also, we also know that the preferred method of execution for Islamic radicals is beheading by sword. So I see two groups here. I see the ones who have come back with Christ at the second coming, sitting on thrones, and then we see the souls of those who have been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So the first group is going to participate with Christ in this great white throne judgment. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats. At the end of the tribulation, there will be about one-fourth to one-third of the world's population still alive. That's it. That's why I've told you what we're seeing right now is just the tip of the iceberg. 
But amongst those who remain alive, there will be some believers who survived, and there will be many, of course, non-believers. The non-believers will be weighed in the balance and found wanting. They will be judged. They will be cast out of Christ's kingdom. And then the believers will be ushered into the millennium as mortals. You and I will be immortal. Jesus said there's no marriage in heaven. We'll be like the angels. There's no procreation. We will no longer be engaged in reproducing. But these mortals, righteous mortals, believers who survive to the end of the tribulation will then be brought into Christ's kingdom to repopulate the earth. Okay? So those who were martyred during the tribulation will also reign with Christ for a thousand years, but it is my understanding that they will not be part of this judging of the nations. I saw thrones and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them, to you, to I, to believers who have been raptured out before the tribulation and then come back with Christ to execute judgment on this unbelieving world. Okay, we'll get a lot more of this as we get further into the book of Revelation. Then I looked and I heard the voice, verse 11, of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So we see all of the heavenly host join in praise to the Lamb as the Redeemer, the one who is found worthy to open the scroll. It reminded me of what we're about to celebrate very soon, Christmas, Luke 2.13. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts this is the angel that announces to the shepherds that the Christ the King has been born. Saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So you have these, can you imagine what those shepherds experienced that night? They heard the voice of the angel and then they heard all the heavenly hosts joining in praise to Jesus the Lamb. And that will be happening again here in heaven, in God's throne room. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. It really means just an innumerable number. Angels, saints. And again, another indication that the church is already in heaven. All the angels, all the saints together, worshiping God, praising God. Honoring the Lamb who was slain, who is now worthy to open the seals, as we talked about last week. The scroll with the seven seals. Remember, John was sad because there was no one found worthy in heaven, on earth, or under the earth to open that scroll. And then, lo and behold, Jesus, the Lamb of God, seated at the right hand of the Father, and the Father has the scroll in his right hand. He's just getting ready to pass it off to Jesus to open those seals. The first set of judgments. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So as a result of his great sacrifice... Jesus, the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth, has earned the right 
to rule this world, and he will. Verse 13, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such, see it's speaking of even the dead, because the dead will be raised not to eternal life, but to eternal punishment. Probably the most severe aspect of the punishment is to, to exist eternally, not in a state of bliss, joy, peace like you and I will as believers, but in an eternal state of torment because of the knowledge of what they have forfeited, what they have lost by rejecting Christ. Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, over the centuries there have been many that have perished in the oceans of this earth. At one time, that was the only way you could get from one island to another, one continent to another. We had no airplanes. And many were lost at sea. Look at what happened with the Titanic, just one example. And then there were others who died at sea for one reason or another. Ships would be infested with various diseases. And those people would be buried at sea. In fact, apparently, as a means of dishonoring and desecrating the body of Osama bin Laden, he was buried at sea. Did you know that? That's my understanding, at least. So under the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessed and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. All creation joins in praise to God and to the Lamb. And this is a foreshadowing of the second coming. Because even the dead will praise him, those under the earth. And that's another part of the torment before they are sent into everlasting punishment. They, every knee will bow, Romans 14, 11. For it is written, as, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name. That's why the devil has made sure that that's the number one most popular swear word. Not just in America, but you'll hear people say it all over the world. Because it's the only name that has the power to save. That is the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here is perhaps the saddest part of the whole deal. Everyone who refuses Christ in this life is still ultimately going to have to bow before him. Why not do it now when it'll do you some good, right? Because you're going to have to sooner or later. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Verse 14 then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. So these four living creatures, the cherubim, who guard the throne of God and worship him night and day, say, Amen. So be it. Let it be so. Amen. And then the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him. In heaven, folks, here's another distinction. In heaven, our primary occupation will be worshipping God. But 
once we return to the earth with Jesus for the millennium, we will be engaged in ruling and reigning as kings and priests. So our time in heaven, it's kind of like the most awesome vacation you've ever had. And then we're going to come back down here and get to work with Jesus. Charles Ryrie, haven't quoted him in a while, but I've always really liked him as a Bible commentator. He says, The heavenly scene of chapters 4 and 5 give heaven's perspective on the need for the awful judgments to follow for Christ's right to reign must be realized and sin must be punished. So we're just going to barely get into an introduction of chapter 6 here. And we're going to see throughout this book of Revelation that the scene will move back and forth between heaven and earth. We'll be shown by John what's happening in heaven and then we'll be shown what's happening on the earth and how they interact and relate to one another. Now I saw verse 1, chapter 6, when the Lamb opened one of the seals, so the first seal, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. So this chapter begins, chapter 6, the first of three series of judgments. I think we went over this last week, but I'll cover it again. The seals, chapter 6, the trumpets, chapters 8 and 9, and the bowl judgments, not till we get to chapter 16. Verse 2, I looked, and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, here's what's interesting. Normally, we think of a white horse as being the steed of the good guy, right? Good guy rides a white horse, bad guy rides a black horse. Good guy wears a white outfit, white hat, cowboy hat. Bad guy wears a black hat, and so forth. But we're seeing here the emergence of the Antichrist, the one world leader, if you want to call him a leader. He who sat on it, and again, most prophecy experts believe this is the Antichrist, who emerges as a world leader at the beginning of the tribulation. And so it makes sense. He's a fake Christ, a fake Messiah. So he's on the white horse, but he definitely does not have good intentions. But at first he appears as a man of peace. That's why he's on the white horse. A crown was given to him. Authority, leadership, rulership. And he went out conquering and to conquer. He first appears as a man of peace, a counterfeit of the true Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And so he goes out conquering and to conquer and first... It'll be by peaceful means. The linchpin of which will be a peace treaty between Israel and those who seek to annihilate her. Daniel 9.27 Then he, the Antichrist, and we're going to go to Daniel 9.27 next week. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 9. One of the most important companion books to the book of Revelation is the book of Daniel. Then he shall confirm a covenant agreement, peace treaty, with many for one week. And Daniel 9, as we will see next week, one week represents seven years. How many days in a week? Seven. Symbolically, one week represents seven years. We'll see that next week. 
But in the middle of the week, the middle of the week would be what? Three and a half years, right? He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So what appears to be the case is that right before, after, somewhere right around the beginning of the tribulation, the temple in Jerusalem will rebuilt. They already have all the components. I've been to the Temple Institute in the old city of Jerusalem many times. They have every single thing that you read about in the Old Testament, all the instruments, the clothing. They have all the, the, the entire temple has already been constructed in a prefab state. The moment they get access to that temple mount, the temple's going up. And again, this will be another indicator supposedly of peace that Israel now has their temple again. They can have full worship and sacrifice. Everything will look wonderful and hunky-dory. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years in, and it's probably at this point, and we'll see more about this around Revelation chapter 13 or so, it's probably at around this point, three and a half years in, that he becomes personally indwelt by Satan. And if you think that's never happened before, in the Gospels we're told that Satan entered Judas. It would probably take something of that magnitude for someone to betray the Son of God. So, at certain points in human history, apparently, and we can probably think of some other good candidates, there have been individuals personally indwelt by Satan. Judas, for sure, the coming Antichrist, for sure, Adolf Hitler, perhaps, someone of that ilk. He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So, so much for Israel being able to have their worship again. At that point, they will be driven into the desert. They will have to flee Jerusalem. This will be the final and perhaps the greatest persecution of the Jews in history I hate to think of it, but it's part of what's going to happen. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. It's called the abomination of desolation, where the Antichrist sets up an image of himself in the temple and commands the people to worship him as God. Even until the consummation or the completion, the fulfillment which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So we'll get into that next week. Finally, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, and 3. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now the day of the Lord is not just one day. It's a series of events I've told you a number of times. And again, to me, this is another indicator of a pre-tribulation rapture. The day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And as I've showed you from the Word of God already, the second coming is a very obvious public event. The whole world will see him. He has lightning strikes from the east to the west. We're all going to come riding down and out of heaven on white horses. It's pretty amazing. You know, I'm sure you've indulged yourself in many other, quote, fantasies in your life. This is not a fantasy. This is reality. We will come with him, and it'll be... The whole world is going to see. The armies of the earth, the armies of the Antichrist are going to be there in the, um, 
the Valley of Jehoshaphat set up to try and destroy Christ and his army as we come back. It's not like a thief in the night. They're, they're two separate events. The rapture of the church is a secretive thing. It happens in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. One minute you're there, the next minute you're not. Talk about global freakout. The day of the Lord. Again, to me, this indicates the trigger point is the rapture of the church. You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord, the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennial kingdom. Man has had his day on this earth, and we have not done a good job. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to do a great job. <clears throat> For when they say peace and safety, they're not saying that right now, but I'll tell you something in just a moment. When they shall say peace and safety, wow, what a miracle. Israel's got this peace treaty now. This great man of peace has been able to do what nobody else could. Everybody's at peace. Wow, here we are. The false millennium. Right? The age of Aquarius, right? Utopia. Heaven on earth. And I'm going to tell you one more reason why they're going to say that. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. I have a buddy I talked to the other day. He's real mystical, real deep. He's a real student of the word. He and I are not in total agreement. He believes the church will be here for the tribulation. In fact, it's funny because I think I mentioned this last week or the week before that there are some people who think we're already in the tribulation. He's one of them. And my wife, well, I was talking to her about it, and she thought, well, is it possible, could we? And I said, no, what we're seeing now are the birth pains. We're in the birth pains, and they're getting closer and closer together, and they're getting more and more intense. Just like Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Well, let me just throw this out to you as we get ready to close here. What could be and would be more peaceful for this world, this world, this world system whose backer, who's the one behind it all, the man behind the curtain, the devil, this world system, what could be more peaceful for this world than to have no more Christians around to rock the boat. Huh? How could there possibly, if we are not raptured before the tribulation begins, this is not going to be a peaceful place. We believers aren't going to just sit back and take it, are we? No, are we going to stop praying? The Bible says that the Antichrist can't be revealed until that which restrains is removed, that which restrains is the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. Amen. You think this world is bad now? You ain't seen nothing yet. Ba -ba -ba -baby. <laughs> to quote Bachman Turner Overdrive, you ain't seen nothing yet. But we still 
As imperfect as we are, we have a restraining influence in this world. Do you know that? Things would be much worse if we weren't here than they are now. And they will be because we won't be here. But to me, I see this as the perfect scenario. I guarantee you when all the believers disappear, there's going to be a global celebration. Now, there'll be some who will mourn, some who will weep, some who will get saved. I've told you before, I think the greatest revival in the history of the world will take place right after the rapture. And to me, that's another reason for God to take us out of here. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And our disappearance will result in the salvation of many souls. It's going to be so peaceful without all those horrible Christians protesting at the abortion clinic, you know, protesting at the state capitol. Did you hear where the uh, Congress just voted to um, decriminalize marijuana across the board, all 50 states? Every day it's something new, something more. Let's stand. What could be more peaceful, folks, for this world than no more Christians around to rock the boat? Also, what could be more peaceful than having free everything? Universal income. Everybody gets a paycheck. Just stay home. Stay home, shut up, and let us rule the world. Right? Give us all your money, and we'll give a little bit back. Do you realize that's where we're at right now? This is not fantasy. I'm not making it up. This is where we are. Unless God could still perform a miracle. It ain't over till it's over. But what could be more peaceful than for this world, no more Christians around to rock the boat, free everything, universal income, and a global world without borders? Right? You can go anywhere in the world now that you want. No borders, as long as you have your vaccine card. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have a sure and certain hope because of Jesus Christ. Lord, no matter what happens in this world, you're still in charge. And whatever's happening, you're allowing it for your reasons, for your plans, for your purposes. And we thank you that we are under your hand of protection. We have nothing to fear. Your perfect love casts out all fear. And Lord, we know at the end of the day, no matter what happens in this life, we're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. The tables will be turned. So Lord, help us to rest in that knowledge, to be at peace. Lord, that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. It doesn't mean we shouldn't take a stand, do our best to speak the truth, stand for the truth. But Lord, at the end of the day, it's all going to work out according to your plan and your purpose. Help us to rest in that knowledge, but not to be apathetic, not to be lethargic, not to be complacent. Help us to stay motivated. Help us to endure, to be overcomers. And Lord, we can't wait for what you've got in store for us. It's so awesome. It's so amazing. It's incredible. Thank you, Father. And now just for a moment before we finish prayer, 
Raise your hand if you need prayer this morning. Pray for you. Wow, lots of you. Okay. Father God, you see every hand, you know every heart. Father, our needs are many. We are a needy people. Not because you're not a good God, not because you don't provide, but because we are sinners. Living in a sin-cursed world, we do not have our glorified, perfected, immortal, imperishable, incorruptible bodies yet. So we do get sick, we do get depressed, discouraged, we get tempted. We need your help. I pray for those who have health issues that you'd reach out your healing hand and touch them today, Father. Pour out your healing oil upon them. Lord, give us the faith to receive. We know it's important. You scolded your disciples. He said, oh, ye of little faith. Lord, we know that faith is a gift from you. We can't conjure it up from within ourselves. So please, give us the faith we need to trust you, to believe in you, not to doubt, to trust you for our health, for our finances. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling economically that you would provide for them. You are a good God, a great God, a God of miracles. We pray that you'd provide for every need here today, that no one would go without any of the essentials. Sometimes, Lord, our needs and wants are different. We know that. But we know that you promised to provide for our needs, so we ask you to do that. We pray for those struggling with the, uh, de- discouragement, depression, anxiety. Lord, help them to cast their cares upon you. You told us to do that. You said, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Your yoke is easy, your burden is light. Lord, help us to give you all those things that we cannot bear and shouldn't even try to bear. Bless each one, Father, whether they've raised their hand for themselves or for someone else. Lord, you know. You know everything. Please hear the cries of your people and answer our prayers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.